The explosion of online property forums provides what might feel like a safe haven for first-home buyers. But like most forums, they are rarely moderated by industry experts, so it can be a minefield of poor advice. Welcome to Your First Home Buyer Guide, the podcast for first-home buyers who want to move it along and become homeowners. But most importantly, it is for home buyers who want to get it right. I'm Megan and that was Veronica. We're both buyers agents and probably old enough to be your mum. And that's a good thing because between us, we've got over 45 years experience to share with you and bucket loads of stories and avoidable mistakes. Together, we're going to make sure you get unbiased and real information you can rely on. We've got loads of free tips for you in this episode. And if you'd like more useful tools, head over to the website homebuyeracademy.com.au. There you'll get access to our free webinar, How to Buy Your First Home with the Right Amount of Debt. You'll also find the holy grail of home buying education, Your First Home Buyer Guide, the online course for people who want to be educated home buyers. We have created this for you to help you get on the right path to home ownership for your first home and beyond. But before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode, here's the boring bit, the disclaimer. You, of course, know that nothing in this podcast is to be taken as personal advice. We always recommend getting the advice of an expert in their field who takes the time to understand your personal situation. We've done our very best to ensure that the content is correct at the time of recording, but things change rapidly. So always check with the relevant government authority or your trusted advisors to get the most up-to-date information. Today we're talking about questions we have seen on online property forums. You know the ones, someone creates a group that sounds like it is the answer to your frustration because it's full of people in a similar situation to you who are more than willing to share their experience. (laughs) Now what alarms us is how much of a hole people can put themselves in. So some of the questions I guess show those holes <laughs> and some of the answers show how people could dig even bigger holes for themselves. It's just, it's, you know, I, I get into them. I don't often participate in the, the forums, but I really want to know what first home buyers are thinking and how they're feeling about things because, you know, you and I have this absolute passion and mission to help people do this well, to, to take things, do things in the right way to take steps in in the right order, to feel like they're in control. But, you know, this first one that I saw, and this is what started me thinking, geez, I really feel like we need to discuss some of these things, is our settlement is this week. Are we able to move in? This is the quote. This is the question on the question. Yeah. Yeah. Our settlement is this week. Are we able to move in straight away after settlement if all goes well? (laughs) Now, I, I know. What I, like I, my heart went into my mouth to think, if you don't know, if you have not informed yourself at that point in time, you are so far through the process and you don't know when you can move in. That's just alarming, isn't it? Especially Why? because presumably, or forget the fact that they obviously don't know some fundamentals and clearly no one's told them anything. What's their conveyancer or their lawyer doing? Like, why haven't they given it's them any this guidance? Week in that person's um, post, like yeah, this so week, less than, less than seven days. So, like, oh, you have to book removalists. Yes, you have you to have organize to get, cleans. You, you know, there's a lot to be. <laughs> there's a lot to be done, and you know, but you're also not even. 
what uh, it's mind-boggling isn't it it's like blithely like chipping along anyway so the answer to the question yes yeah yes you can unless there Basically, is something in the contract that prevents you doing that like a lease or a tenant in place true true that's a very good point or um so there's your settlement and the only thing that has to happen after the settlement is that the the lawyer or the conveyancer has to just notify the agent that they can release the keys. So there's that little tiny extra thing that has to happen after settlement, um, unless there is a lease in place, right? Um, and then you can go and get your keys, and then it's your pri- your place, yours and the bank's. Yours, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, yours the bank and has the bank's. an ownership Happily. interest in the property. That's entirely true. Happily ever after. But you but don't yes, have you to have them in. live with you. But it is rather alarming. To think that you get that that close and and they've not the sort of thing I would think that you would be preparing for is certainly when we teach people about the process in your first home buyer guide the this the period between unconditional and settlement there are still a lot of steps that you've There's got a to lot do of stuff to be done to prepare for settlement now whilst you don't participate in settlement it's the banks and the solicitors that participate in the settlement of the property. There are things you need to do before and there are things that you need to be aware of that um, need to be finalised afterwards. And to be a week out and not have knowledge of what is happening in that week and, and the, the subsequent weeks afterwards, just, I really just honestly scary. scared me. Scared it's me. scary. What else hasn't been done? What else could have been forgotten? Well, Next okay. List. So if we talk about the, pro- the process that we teach our students – there's 10 steps, 10, 10 modules in this program, and in that there's quite a lot of meat and a lot of things you need to do. But the very first one is to get your support crew, and that support crew should be guiding you all the way through, right? And that includes the settlement period. And then this 10th step is the settlement period. That's what to do, exactly what you're saying there, all the things that need to happen. So rather than final week, mad rush, oh, my dear. Anyway, next the next question Shall I read this one? Yeah, it's tickled me. <laughs> oh, I'm losing hope. I can't see myself, in brackets, single 24, purchasing without another person to help. What do I need to do? <laughs> the first answer was in this forum? No. Uh, single at 24 and losing hope. That is tragic. That's uh, yeah. <laughs> and I have to say, I feel a bit the same. I think 24 is not the time to lose hope. No, you've got a whole life ahead of you. Yeah, we've got some students who are first-time buyers around 40 because that's just how how things worked out for them and that was when it was the right time for them to buy. So I think setting any expectations around what age you should be doing things is entirely, you know, it's it's a little bit um, unrealistic unless it sits within a plan that you are working towards. But what do I need to do is, it's such an open-ended question. You should have seen something else, isn't it? Go on Bumble. Yeah. <laughs> Are you asking about the dating side or the property yeah, purchase exactly. side? Exactly. Um, okay. I think 24, it's funny. I mean, I, I go back to think of myself as 24. This is why we, we're old enough to be your mum. You know, life, there's just so much more to live than 24. And I know some people do think they're old at 24. I can guarantee you, you are not. There is so much more life experience to have. And you will probably meet a great person to have a relationship with. And you might, like we, meet more than one. Um, <laughs> not at the same time, of course. Um, <laughs> consecutively. 
But what what do I need to do? I would say, well, you know what you want to do when you meet someone, because you will, no doubt, at some point, you want to have actually started your own savings plan mm-hmm. so that you are actually putting yourself in a position that, and hopefully you meet someone else who's doing the same sort of thing. So you've got some resources to put together and be able to buy property together. Because if you sort of lose hope and go, well, bugger it, I'm just going to go and spend everything, then you're going to, when you do meet someone, not have anything to bring to the table. And hopefully you haven't met somebody else that is the same, you know. So I think, what do I need to do? Be patient. But but it's not, we'll have a plan too, because your plan might be, if I haven't met somebody by this date, then I need to explore whether I do a purchase with a friend, a family member, somebody else, who might that be? Who would be potentially in a similar position who would enter into a contractual relationship because all of these things have to have mm. uh, really good legal agreements in place when you purchase with another person? There are other options other than coupling up. Um, and if you have some thoughts around that and you educate yourself around that and you put your feelers out, you might find that there's another person out there who and it might not be that it's a property that you live mm. in. It might be that you rent vest initially to get into the market and you have a plan around, well, once the property has achieved these certain things, then one or the other might buy the other one out or there might be an agreement to sell at a certain point in time if there's a, a certain amount of capital gains or it might be that if the other person does meet someone and wants to exit from um, that financial arrangement, then you have the, the, um, all the, everything written down and agreed before the situation happens. So. You don't need a partner in life to have a partner in property, but you do need to be really eyes open, well aware, looking at all of the risks, having all of your your what-if scenarios outlined before you enter into the purchase so that when a what-if happens, you just go, oh, okay, well, the agreement says this is what we do in this situation. Okay, well, that's what we'll do in that situation. Uh, So there's lots of opportunities to get into property that doesn't necessarily involve having a life partner as part of the plan. And I don't know what this person does for a living, but maybe there's a way that they could actually look at upskilling so that they have a more lucrative career path. I don't know, but there's lots of ways that you could look at your only 24. You've got heaps of time. Anyway, let's move on to the next one. Look, this this is from one of the forums. Found an apartment I really like. But the tenant seems very frustrated that they're going to be forced to move out once settlement happens. Should I avoid buying the apartment? Mm. No, no. It's got nothing to do with it. No. no. <laughs> Is it a good property? Is it in your price range? <laughs> have you done the due diligence? Does it have good investment fundamentals? It's like saying, oh, I don't like the neighbours, so I'm not going to buy that one. You know, they might move out next week. Well, Yeah. It's sillier than that because these people definitely are moving out. Um, <laughs> That's right. It, it's, it's funny that the things people focus on, it just shows you're focusing on absolutely one thing that might seem really problematic, but actually is completely irrelevant and possibly not focusing on any of the things that you really need to be looking at, which is all the due diligence, the, the way the buildings run, are there any special levies coming up, are there defects, all et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's, there's a myriad of things that you should be worrying about before worrying about upsetting the current tenant. Now, I get it. I get it. The tenants will be upset, mm. right? And and I get that nobody likes being kicked out of a place they're living in because somebody, or the vendor's selling yeah. it and um, somebody's buying it. I get that. And I have sympathy for tenants who are a bit upset and frustrated. And also, they're the ones having to suffer the inconvenience of showing the property 
or having the prop- people coming through their home while the property's on the market. So there's lots of reasons why a tenant be very frustrated. But the reality is that's the last thing you should be worried about. Um, and if they damage the property, if they're that frustrated, then you're buying it in the condition that there was at the time that you went unconditional. And so as long as there's plenty of documentation around that, then then that's on the vendor or to claim on their insurance as this, it's not your problem. Yeah, I, I guess I would say also to do a little bit of investigation, often it's on the contract. Is there a property manager appointed to manage the property or is it privately managed? Because sometimes privately managed properties, so the owner managing the property without a property manager, they don't have all the documentation in place. Mm. They don't have the entry conditioner report. They might not have done routine inspections along the way. So whether it's the sorts of things that you would want to ask and find out so that you knew what your risks were if you did purchase that property um, is, is it is it managed? Are there is there an entry conditioner report? What does the lease say? Um, are there conditioner reports? Uh, who will be doing the exit inspection? So if the tenant has to move out before settlement, then is that a condition of the contract that, that it has to be vacant possession and that the property has to be returned in the condition it was when the tenant entered the property? So there is actually probably a few extra things that, that we would suggest that you do if there is a tenant in situ, but it is to be vacant possession. Now, if that tenant is going to be in there for a period of time after the property settles, so their lease goes beyond the settlement date, then you need to make sure you're working with the property manager at the time when it's time for that tenant to move out so that that exit process is done professionally and you get the property back in the condition it was when the tenant moved in. And that's the relevant thing there is, you know, talk about damage. If there's any damage done during that period because the tenant got a bit antsy, then it is the entry condition report when that tenant went in that is the documentation that you need to understand. That's the condition the tenant has to return the property in not what you want it to be in, but in the condition that it was at the entry. So yep. getting a hold of that would be really valuable to, to know what condition that property was in and what it needs to be in when that tenant leaves. 100%. And I think too, uh, what you, you say there about, you know, the property management, how is it being managed? You know, I'd want to make sure it was in an expired lease, that there wasn't actually a lease in place and they're trying to pay the tenant to move because some 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 negotiations can be done um, but the tenant has all the rights under those circumstances. So so you certainly do want to just check that it is vacant possession, as Megan was saying. And also the thing too, because sometimes properties are sold with the tenants in place and then and with the intention to give them notice at the end of their lease. And you've got to be thinking, okay, I better check. Are they paying? How much rent are they paying? Because you're going to be, you will be paying Maybe the, the difference between their mm-hmm. rent and the mortgage payments, repayments, and Typically, there's a gap there. So you're going to be out of pocket and you're not going to be living there. And the other thing too is that you want to make sure that um, they've been paying their rent on time. You know, you definitely don't want to be taking on the uh, responsibility of a tenant that is behind in their rent. So there are a couple of things, but it didn't sound like in this case there was anything about a lease. Yeah, by by settlement or once settlement happened, but timing's a bit um, uncertain there. I guess from a risk point of view, um, the risk then is that the tenant doesn't move out despite the legal obligation to vacate the mm. property. So that is something to to keep in mind. Um, that could happen, you know, whether it's an owner or a tenant. Yeah, there is a long process to remove a tenant if they don't ab- ab- abide by their their lease agreement. 
Um, so but that is, can be a risk. For sure. Yeah, and, and vacant possession is great because that means it's the owner's risk, not your risk yeah. as the buyer. Um, but if it's with um, subject to lease, then it becomes your risk. Yeah. So getting good legal advice, once again, having all your ducks lined up and all your support crew in uh, in tow, that can help in a situation like that. But generally speaking, no, just because the tenant's a bit frustration, uh, frustrated, no reason not to buy the property. Yep, absolutely. And there's a lot of investors who sell um, properties that are attractive to first-time buyers. So you would you would actually eliminate a huge amount of the market if, as one of the respondents suggested, don't ever buy a property that has a tenant in it. Uh, <laughs> not helpful advice. Um, too general. You know, you have God. to look at each situation on its own. You merits. love those don't ever buy one of them, don't, don't you? Ever. Don't except for us, we'll say don't ever buy off the plan. But even then, there's there's a small, exceptions. To small exceptions. Well. There's exceptions to every rule. But anyone that says don't ever, you think amateur. Hang on, yeah. <laughs> let's just have a look at that. All right, let's have a look at the next next question that was posted on a forum. Yes, I am looking at buying my first home. If paying cash, what is the acceptable percent amount to cut off the asking price when making an offer? I don't want to offend the offers or offer too much. God love them. Oh, well. Do the yeah, right perception out there. Free mini course. Well, <laughs> not only that. I mean, they can they can afford a buyer's agent if they're buying if they're buying their first home and they're paying cash, cash. They could afford a buyer's agent. They don't need to do our course because you know the, our course is for people who can't afford to buy to pay for a buyer's agent. So you know, it's like go mate, and get some independent expert guidance and it's representation. Going, I don't have a lot of sympathy, but. It's silly to think that your cash is worth more than the cash that comes out of a bank, you know, by way of a mortgage. It's just, like a, at the it's end just of, a difference in a condition, potentially. Absolutely. No, uh, unless it's a absolute rotten buyer's market, awful, nothing is selling, and people with cash, they've got power because nobody can borrow any money. But that, even in... The dark days of 2016-17 when the Royal Commission into Banking, it was never that grim. Yeah. Uh, not in most markets. Um, so I just, for anybody thinking that cash is worth more, um, you know, it's going to make them more appealing as a buyer, it, it's just that they've, unless that owner is under so much stress and they need to get their cash in a week, it really makes zero difference. Running the last week, uh, so the previous episode, um, I'm sure you've, you've all tuned in and listened to it. We, we talked about price guides, and and this there is a lot in this question that actually is really if you didn't if you haven't listened to that episode yet, I'm sure you go back market, and marked it. Go back and look at it because asking price is irrelevant. It doesn't yeah. matter what the asking price is, even suggesting. That cutting a percentage, what's an acceptable percentage to cut off an asking price? It just misses the point. A lack of knowledge about how to price a property because that asking price may be exorbitantly overpriced. It yeah. might be smack on and priced to sell. It could be that in a rapidly rising market, that asking price is actually under what it's worth. Yeah. So go back to the last episode and get your head wrapped around price guides and what to do with price guides because knocking off 10% is the least sophisticated way of working out what to pay for a property. I know. And also just at the, the end point there is I don't want to offend the owners or offer too much. And it is it is a fine line. You know, nobody wants to offer too much, right? Most and certainly. Once again, yes. Educate yourself and then that's unlikely going to happen. But I don't want to offend, uh, offend the owners. That is, that is a 
fair concern because some people do make such low offers and they just annoy the owners. And if the owners have a choice to sell to somebody else and they're going to give favorable conditions to somebody else, they will do that. Some people take it very, very personally when you offer they what they perceive to be too low for their property. So work out what it's worth before you make an offer. Just do that. Just do the work. Just do, Just the, work. do the work. But if you are paying cash, you should be able to afford a good buyer's agent. Who Get a local specialist you. who's got lots of experience and they'll sort you out. <laughs> All right. Next question. Waiting for prices of homes to drop because it's ridiculous. But realistically, I need to be in my own home before March. Is there much point of waiting or am I just fooling myself thinking it'll drop? Yes, my. you are just fooling yourself. <laughs> Even if I they do drop. I remember um, <laughs> sitting in a sales meeting when I first started selling real estate agent. I'm sitting in a sales meeting and there's a picture on the wall and it's a skeleton and it says, waiting for the price of real estate to drop. Now, at that point in time, you could buy, there's been a resale recently, so that was 2001, you could buy a house for about, um, I think it was about 270000 that has m- m- more recently sold for just over 1.2, I think it was. So, I, I always think of that skeleton waiting for the price of property to drop uh, when people say, oh, I think it's a, it's a bit ridiculous, it's a bit overpriced at the moment, it's not going in the other direction. It never Definitely feels. There's a little bit of a roller coaster sometimes, but the the long term graph is um, in, in an upward trajectory, not in a long term downward pr- trajectory. No, there's the only exception to that rule, right? Are places where the market is overheated because investors, for some reason, investors all decided they're going to pile into the area, like mining towns, you know, or back in the the about 2010 around there mining towns are all the rage there were heaps of people piling into it was like that a market fulfilling prophecy isn't it, it like when a, it's a ponzi scheme property expert says this is the area to buy but they bought there before they told everybody else so they get the benefit of the uplift in the, the capital gains exactly. while everybody else piles in and then it sort of hits its peak and then peters off again now that relies on the greater fool theory there's always some a greater fool to come in after me and pay more than I paid, <laughs> and so. But at some point, the you know the merry-go-round, the music stops and the merry-go-round stops. Somebody and so some of those areas. I'm a little worried about Perth at the moment because a lot of the reason for uh, Perth's performance at the moment is a lot of people from the eastern states buying there, and that's no. that's come out in a lot of data. So I'm a bit worried about that mm-hmm. it being a similar sort of thing that all these investors are piling in and. That's that's sort of tilting the scales a little bit away from the owner occupiers because yeah. the owner occupiers are really what form the basis and foundations of a marketplace. So in most places, though, unless that sort of thing is going on, waiting for prices to drop is really waiting for you to realise prices aren't going to drop. Yeah. How long is it going to take before you work it out that even though there's some little dips along the way, generally speaking, the trajectory is up, and that's look that's. Using aggregated data, I can I can sit here and pull out and tell you the the facts and figures around this. Yeah. But equally, it's about knowing how to buy a good asset because some properties do fall in value more than others when prices do fall. So, but the fa- the fundamental thing is you're buying for the long term. You're buying a good asset. There is no point waiting for prices to fall because when they do fall, they only fall in a small proportion compared to when, they'd, when they're when they on a rising streak. Yeah, uh, on and, a, and on sometimes a, those B and C-grade assets fall 
are the ones that fall as opposed to the A grades, which, yes. which are more likely to hold or continue their, their growth. The other thing I just want to unpack out of that question is the time frame. So yeah. realistically, <laughs> yes. I need to be in my own home before March. You can advise you've got six going, months, not boom. even, not even six months. Then, you By know, the time you take luck. off your 45 days or 60 day settlement period, you're not leaving yourself. And then Christmas comes into it, New Year's, no stock during that period of time. There's about six weeks that there's no new stock. You need to get your skates on if that is actually what your strategy is and stop yes. waiting for the market to be in line with your expectations because you don't control the market. Nobody controls the market. We've said there are there are some instances where there can be some influence on the market, but it's short term. But realistically, if you're giving yourself a deadline, you have to be very careful that you're not putting yourself under pressure that you will concede to a lower grade or inferior property or make the wrong compromises to meet a time frame. And this is just smacks of fighting with reality. You know, it's like, you know, one man against the market. Our like a, lovable the Mike, our lovable Mike <laughs> from the beta group who was waging a one-man war against the property market and it the wasn't until he finally war. went, oh, well, I've just got to join in that they bought. And yep. happily. And I know. They've got a lovely family home now. All right. Last round. The next, the next one is our last one. Oh, can I read this? It sounds so good. Go for it. Please excuse my ignorance. I feel embarrassed to ask this, but how does everyone buy a house? I feel like most people buy houses like you're never taught how in the process. I'm trying my best to learn and would appreciate any help. Oh, dear. If only there was something that helped people learn how to buy houses. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's so tongue-in-cheek. I, I, Did I you actually answer this that... one, Megan? Well, no, Did you say, because in these why forums, don't you do Home Buyer Academy? <laughs> these forums, what you, you can't do... promote your business, right? So I respect the rules of the forums. Yeah, I don't go in there the problem and, yeah, I, I do anyway. respect them. <laughs> um, but it is frustrating because, you know what, they're actually entirely correct. This is not mm. taught to people unless you can find us. So the challenge is how, how do we get more people to find us so that they are armed with the right information and feel like, okay, I've got this. I, I know how to do this. I know the right steps. I, this is the one that really hit my heart and made mm -hmm. me feel like, Oh my God, I just want to help you, but how do I, I can't tell you directly yeah. that I can help you. <laughs> it's actually really hard because this one of the reasons I don't spend a lot of time in forums because I know that a lot of the answers are really bad <laughs> and I know I we can help them. And, you know, I, I sometimes will comment and sometimes we'll give them some, you know, good advice in there. But the problem is, of course, it gets drowned out with all the bullshit yeah, yeah. and and the ignorance and the and the I did it once and I'm an expert sort of answers. And I know it's it's hard. And so I sort of have to sometimes get out of there because I feel so um, frustrated, frustrated that, yeah. Yeah, that, that I, you know, powerless, you know, powerless to actually help when it's like, and sometimes we've even approached the, uh, you know, the people that, run these forums sometimes i have um sure you have too megan yeah. to say look we actually have a program can we can we work with you and that hasn't been greatly no um, it's not it's not really successful mm. no because they don't they actually want they well fundamentally Usually they want to sell business. something else yeah they're they a want to sell business. something else and sometimes yeah. genuinely good business like really good brokers have some Ooh. i've seen some really good um intended property forums yeah. And and what that broker can provide is really good finance advice. And, yes. and and that input that they give is really good around the finance. 
what isn't there is a holistic approach to, to choosing the asset and the process of buying the property. And I guess that's the thing that really tore at my heartstrings with this one because when I read mm. I am trying my best to learn, I just wanted to wrap them up and say if we've got you. It was hopefully yeah, find there us. Is hope. I mean, <laughs> the thing is too, you know, I, and a lot of the brokers, we've talked about this before in terms of free online courses helping people buy property and this is probably what this person has found that you know they'll give you seven steps to buying a property four or five of those around getting the finance yeah. right find a property make an offer and it's like oh my god they've con- they've get condensed a very eight very steps. important <laughs> sort of eight steps nine steps even they've condensed nine steps into two which just assume that it's that easy a to find it so you've got to know what you're looking for. You've got, you know, all of that dealing with agents, working it, all that, the due diligence and all the bits between finding it and making an offer, all the stuff you need to do. And then how do you make an offer? How do you work out? And then how do you negotiate with the agent? It just makes me laugh. And it's it's not like I've seen one of these yeah. out there with with brokers and banks as well, same sort of stuff. Yep. It's not one. It's almost they've all just copied each other's template. And I'm like, no wonder people are frustrated because that is not good enough. There's there's a lot of gaps in there. There's some good there's some good information, but it's not the whole story. And what you when you don't know what you don't know, you don't know which gaps are not filled. Uh, and I think that's the thing that, yeah, certainly from our perspective in doing that brain dump of our experienced buyers agents to create this this course for people, that's that they're the people we want to get to. They I desperately want to get to to people like. Um, we want to help you. Like that person, like you. <laughs> like you, <laughs> listening to this. And look, a quick note, this course only costs $990 and you do get direct access to us every week if you want it to help guide you through your negotiations even, right? So trust me, you will overpay a hell of a lot more than $1,000 if you don't know what you're doing. In this episode, we've only touched on a tiny part of the huge amount of things you need to know to become an educated first home buyer. There is so much more for you to do. You can learn all of the steps in the right order and avoid all of the mistakes that others have made in our 10-step online course for first home buyers. If you'd like to learn more about the right process and avoid making rookie errors, become an educated home buyer. Head over to the website, check out your first home buyer guide the course that we have created for you. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. And if you've liked what you've heard today, please give us an iTunes review. It helps other people find us. And of course, I know it's a bit cringy, but we're going to ask for five stars. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. We hope you've found this really useful. And if you have, please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat. We'll be back next week with more priceless stuff.